Hello everybody, welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 8, issue 391. We're going to talk about the evil within. You can play along with the show. We've got some excellent stuff coming up, as always. We've got Batman, Arkham Origins, the Warner Brothers Montreal one, as we patiently await an announcement of another, possibly. Then it's Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain, bringing us up to date and possibly forever up to date with Metal Gear Solid. You notice that I've left out Survive there, which is perhaps unfair. It's on the list, don't worry. Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts is our next podcast. Then it's Donkey Kong 64 for some more rare fare. And after that, we're going to come back to this series. And this probably will be the last ever one of these, judging by the sales of the second installment. The Evil Within 2. So, yeah, this is the first part of a kind of scary autumnal. This is this is your Halloweenish time kind of podcast. You can get every show a week earlier and often extended beyond the two hours of the free version by supporting us for just a dollar a month. It's only 79p, about 20p a week or something less than a euro for a month patreon.com slash cane and rinse and it really does help us keep doing what we do pays for all the stuff and the hosting and the equipment we have other podcasts as if cane and rinse wasn't enough we have three others sound of play on wednesdays playwright on thursdays and the sausage factory on fridays they're all different they all do different things they're all equally excellent subscribe review rate to this show and those wherever you get your podcasts apple or elsewhere Uh, You can even listen to this one on Spotify. We also do some streaming. We have some video content now. Look out for us on social media, Twitter, uh, particularly for announcements as to when we'll be streaming on Twitch. But then if you do miss the live shows, as it were, the stuff goes up on YouTube as well. So subscribe to our channels and engage with everything at canarince.com or at canarince. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 391. Ah, the evil with millions of YouTube viewers, Jacob Geller. Hello. The evil with sickness, Leah Haydu. I am, I am, as they say, down with the sickness. Oh, God, that was awful. Can I take that back? <laughs> <laughs> That's in forever now. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. damn. <laughs> and the evil with the Dutch accent, Mikhail Kroder. Losing our minds, losing our minds, losing our minds. <laughs> Hello, Leslie. <laughs> so, yes, the evil within, known in Japan as Psycho Break. They always get the cool titles. Uh, the evil within, obviously, very much refers to in the West, the Western title for Shinji Mikami's earlier series, Resident Evil. But this was developed by Tango Gameworks, his company, who he set up after leaving Capcom. And I believe were bought up by Bethesda during the development of this title, as I understand it. Shinji Mikami, we've covered some of his other games, including one of his earliest works, which was uh, Disney's Aladdin on the Super Nintendo. Check out that show. But also, of course, yeah, Resident Evil and Goof Troop um, mm. and a few other things. Uh, the Actually, looking at the CVs of the various key staff involved in this title... Uh, we've got the producer, Masato Kimura, who worked on El Shaddai, Ascension of the Metatron, another cool cult game we covered some years ago. The designer, Shigenori Nishikawa, who worked on Resident Evil 4 and Vanquish for Platinum. We've, all got, uh, we've also got an artist, Naoki Katakai, who worked on Vanquish as well, and Bayonetta and Akami. 
We have a composer, Masafumi Takada, who worked on Killer7 and God Hand and No More Heroes and Vanquish and Danganronpa. Uh, It's kind of a supergroup of developers uh, on this game. The engine that they elected to make this new survival horror IP franchise in was id Tech 5. According to the IMDb, this sounds a bit editorial rather than just a fact, but it says Tango Gameworks bizarrely decided to use id Tech 5 as the Evil Within's engine. id Tech is an engine crafted around delivering 60 frames per second for per- first-person shooters. The Evil Within is a third-person survival horror experience that targets 30 frames a second. Because of this disconnect, the Evil Within suffered from poor optimization, which resulted in performance and texture streaming issues. It's likely that the reason Tango chose this engine is because Bethesda owns both id and tango game works so there will be no licensing fee for using the engine and no development time spent crafting their own or money i suppose uh, tango did eventually create their own engine the stem engine for the evil within 2 mm. which we'll talk about in a month so the game was a cross generation title because it came out in october 2014 for ps3 xbox 360 pc and ps4 and xbox one reviews wise it was fairly consistent on the two current gen consoles, uh, around 75-76%, and that's where the majority of the reviews came from. The PC version was hit hard by technical issues and averaged uh, 63% from... Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry about that. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the equivalent of the, uh, the Shinji Mikami dog bursting in through the <laughs> <Yes>. window. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the PC version I recall when it came out having yeah a number of technical problems, and even the console versions aren't without them. Nobody really bothered reviewing the previous gen console versions. There's no published reviews of the PS3 version at all, and one of the Xbox 360 version, and they gave it the equivalent of 100%, probably five stars or something. Wow. So not much we can. <laughs> not, yeah, I mean, I guess they're a fan, but yeah. uh, not much we can take from that. Probably mm. sales wise, this is unconfirmed. I couldn't find any official figures, but I've seen four million plus copies quoted across all the versions, which seems pretty healthy and five times what the sequel, despite being reviewed much better, went on to sell. Hence me saying there may never be another one. Uh, user reviews wise, very consistent. Whether we're on the IMDb or Push Square, a more video game centric site, we're looking at slightly higher than the review score average, but still under eight. So, yeah, you know, decent. Our own histories with the game, me and the panel. Well, I just bought it for the show and played it through on Xbox One quite recently, finished it a week or so ago. Uh, Hadn't played it before. So five years down the line kind of thing. Leah, did you buy this? Uh, You're an early adopter, we know, sometimes to your cost. (laughs) (laughs) Frequently to my cost, yes. Um, I did actually buy this at the time. Um, I I don't remember whether... I I know that I bought it on a previous gen console because I don't think that I had um, any current gen consoles at the point that this came out. Uh, I got Mm. those a little bit later. So I believe that I got it on the Xbox. 
360. And mm-hmm. I would not say that I gave it 100%. But um, I, no. I did, uh, you know, I did play through it at the time and liked it pretty well. And uh, then it's it's pretty frequently on sales and such. Uh, so I've picked it up at some point digitally on the PS4 and uh, yeah. have played it through once completely since then. And I played uh, a little bit just to refresh myself uh, for the recording also on the PS4. So uh, yeah, I've, I've played through a couple of times. Hmm. Jacob, you're sometimes a PC guy, is that right? Did you yes fall into the trap with this one? Yeah, it, it was. It was a game that I was actually very interested in before it came out, mostly because of the kind of Mikami connection and how much I like those Resident Evils. Um, but I didn't pick it up upon release. I got it, I think, like a year and a half later on PC. And it's important that I've only played it on PC because there are some like pretty big technical things that you can adjust on the pc that you cannot on the uh the other consoles and so i've played it through twice once recently um and yeah we'll get into it did they do a lot to patch it up after the initial launch concerns of it being buggy and performance being terrible i'm I'm not sure. It's hard for me to remember my initial playthrough, but my recent one was totally smooth. I had no issues. Okay, cool. And you can, of course, tweak it and mod it because it's on a PC if you want. And uh, ramp up the textures and the frame rate and the resolution beyond the console version. And and you can unletterbox it importantly (laughs) you can do that on the they did patch that into at least the current gen console versions yeah uh mikhil where and when did you play the evil within um the evil within i remember not remembering a whole lot being um made you know about its uh, about its release it's I, i found that it didn't receive a lot of hoopla or hype up leading up to its release which is a bit strange re- regarding the pedigree. Maybe I was just uh, looking in the wrong places. But uh, yeah, it's, it, I remember it just sort of coming out uh, pretty much out of nowhere. And I thought it looked very interesting. And of course, I'm also a long-time uh, player and fan of the Resident Evil series. So I made a note to pick it up somewhere along the line, which I did. Three years later, before I had a PS4, so I saw at CEX, I saw like the 360 version laying for like in this fancy uh limited edition uh box uh for about three or four euros like a ridiculous low amount of money yeah popped it in quickly didn't return to it and then last year i started or maybe it was earlier this year i started playing through it with my uh resident evil playing buddy on his ps4 version and i felt like yeah i'll probably never start playing the, the 360 version uh, if we go through this whole game on the ps4 I was thinking I had this yeah. crazy OCD idea of just just to catch up on the 360 version whenever I would have a moment of what we had played up to the PS4 version. Uh but uh, eventually yeah because I stepped in for for Darren on the show I uh I picked up the pace and I played through the rest of the game on the on the 360 version. So I've played a fair chunk of the oh. PS4 version and I've played through the 360 version in uh, in total which was very 100%, interesting. 100% yeah. Uh 100% <laughs> Is your is your review of the 360? I don't mean. <laughs> oh you right, right, right. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, mean, you do, I, I you, thought you said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know if any any of us have 100 percented it. We'll we'll get onto that. Yeah. Actually, before we talk about the scenario and the setting, I just want to talk a little bit about the background. Apparently, it began development as uh, as early as 2010 under the name Project Zvi, and I suppose the thing that is good to remember is that 
the a lot of the stalwart franchises of the horror genre or the survival horror genre had either taken an a, a more action oriented turn or they'd dissipated altogether or both <laughs> so yeah, what, what year was uh, resident evil 6 do we know that offhand uh 2012 yeah, 2012, yeah. Oh, so a little yeah. bit later okay yeah uh, but that's where we were between yeah. resident evil 5 and 6 the silent hill series are pretty much gone project zero occasional releases on the wii um you know there are others but certainly the high profile series and and certainly shinji mikami has sort of said or you know i remember quotes from him suggesting that you know there was a there was a whole uh, been left in the market by the i suppose even if you think about dead space uh, at that point that was around the same time as dead space 2 but then even dead space 3 which came a couple of years later as well ended up being a much more uh, more of a horror shooter rather than a than a survival horrorish kind of game obviously there was always lots of shooting in dead space but i think the emphasis was yeah. slightly different but i think what's curious about this is that while the evil within has survival horror in it and has some survival horror elements Towards the end of the game, it feels to me, in terms, it's much more like Resident Evil Five or something. It's like it's almost it's a, a very, full-blown shooter. It's a very guided game as well. If you, I mean, you're yeah. you're you're just uh, trekking through predetermined paths throughout the game. There's very little little of uh, you know, yes, trying right. to trying to approach areas from different angles and finding finding keys and uh, you know, like there's very very little lo- mm. non-linear about it. I think we'll get into this, but in almost every respect, this feels like it's like seven different games. You know, there are so many different styles of gameplay and environment and enemy and kind of modes of interaction that, yeah, it it wouldn't surprise me if this were like a bunch of different ideas that he decided to kind of like all put into this one game he was making. Mm. That's how it certainly feels to me in every sense. And to that end, let's start with the scenario and the story. Normally for me with this kind of game, it's probably the thing I'm least interested in, but I do want to talk about it here because it's kind of, it sort of engaged me in a way, but it's also completely incomprehensible and baffling at points. And there are a few (laughs) things which I think don't even make sense, but I'm hoping that you guys can uh, correct me on that and and tell me that there is some method to this madness. The setup is ostensibly, actually, if you look at it, a direct parallel to the original Resident Evil in that you've got a small group of people sent into a place, in this case, a mental hospital asylum rather than a mansion. But you've got a small group of people sent in after a previous uh, people have been sent in and all killed. Uh, and then they're all kind of split up and they've each got their different reasons for being there. And they're all, you find out that they've got different reasons for being there and their motivations. But the overarching concept of this story is that actually 99% of what you play is inside a kind of effectively a virtual reality but you're you're plugged into somebody else's brain rather than an AI mm-hmm. uh, that is you are plugged in by a man who was as a child sent mad because his beloved sister was burnt in a barn fire although it looks like the barn fire took place in like the 90 or the 1890s or something but this is actually this game seems to be set in present day um he then became a scientist and please please jump in if i'm getting any of this wrong um he became a scientist and 
with a view to recreating he could so he could live in a world in which his sister had never died he created a uh, a reality based on his own brain then uh, a sinister corporation got involved wanting a piece of this tech and at some point this man luvik somehow pops outside of his brain and back into the real world and uh, kills all these people and hooks up some people including these detectives who have been sent to investigate into his brain and then he toys with them and teases them for about 15 hours despite <laughs> being an all-powerful <laughs> god where he could just do whatever he wanted to them and in fact in the end lets gives them about as much kind of fortu fortuitousness and luck so that he so that you end up and spoiler warning by the way you end up actually serendipitously landing in an assault jeep with on a cannon in a, in a, in a position to blow up the final manifestation of the monster room what is help the only thing i think that i would would think is different from what you were describing okay. there please is i'm not sure that he ever really did get outside nah. the because i when, think an important thing equal... to, that uh, you missed also leon sorry to butt in uh, no go Leah. ahead but I'm an sure important thing that you missed to say is the person rubik this the psychopath whose brain you enter by the end of the game you discover he was never alive by the time you uh entered the asi uh, asylum his, it was all the time just his brain he as a person uh as a fully fleshed body didn't exist anymore okay so yeah. what's the external so, manifest what's yes that's right but what's well, the external manifestation i think aren't they I, what that that's kind of what i was going for there was that i think I don't think he ever existed physically in mm -hmm. the real world. I think it was either people hallucinating him and acting like they did see him. Essentially, the people who got killed were killed by other people who were being manipulated by him because he's mm. just a brain through this entire yes, yeah. thing. The evil but corporation the... that you mentioned, they they eventually found out that they needed his brain to make this work, so they took his brain and plugged it into yeah. the machine. And that's yeah. so it wasn't it wasn't actually you. Uh, uh, it wasn't actually Rubik who uh, hooks you up to this machine. It was that corporation. Right. Uh, and they basically made you work for them in secrecy. And the f the female agent, uh, Julie Kidman, was there to sort of guide you uh, and, and to sort of manipulate you into doing the organization's dirty work. Yeah. Which you don't really okay. find out until you play the DLC, if I'm remembering correctly. I didn't yeah. make it all the way to the end in this yeah. playthrough, so I don't but remember it's whether no, they it's actually no reveal it from fault her. people are yeah. left completely confused about the plot in the end, because <laughs> yes. the, the storytelling is very nebulous. Well, here's... And... So here, here's why I think that's okay, though, is because okay. none <laughs> of it matters. Like you can, Valid. I think I think what's kind of incredible about this game's story is like the game works so well if you just don't think about the story at all. Like not only <laughs> does it kind of like does it work without it, but I think it's actually much more effective without any of the details and as soon as i started kind of like looking at external sources and and getting the details i was like mm. oh this is much less kind of interesting than i thought it was because when you're yeah. just kind of being like roller coastered through the game's environments it feels much more nebulous it's a haunted house yeah <laughs> the, th yeah. the thing is what's brilliant about this game um i don't i do i do think that it's not executed all that well in all places but the thing that's kind of brilliant about this setup 
is that it basically gives the creators of the game an excuse to throw you from one wild situation into the next one. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, a, a much heard criticism about this game, and you were also talking about that before, Leon, is that it's horror, the video game, that everybody, everything's in there. But I think, actually, you can look at that from a more positive angle and see it as a great homage to horror and video games. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean... And I was actually, there were a few sections earlier in the game where they were very trippy and brilliant um, sort of, yeah, non-sequitur transitions from, from one yes. situation oh, into yes. another. And I, was thinking this, and I was thinking, this is going to be great because they're, they're, this, this game has to, the, the potential to be the Super Mario Galaxy of, uh, of, of survival <laughs> or, or, or horror-themed action-adventure game. Same games. vibe, honestly. Yeah, completely same vibe. No, but, but you mean like, Super Mario Galaxy is brilliant because it throws you throws you from one wild situation and like with complete unbridled non-logic uh bound um imagination into the next yeah. one. So I was think I was thinking this could be a similar deal, but uh yeah, let's not jump too far ahead, but I think also yeah. it becomes a bit unimaginative at points and so, uh, keeps yeah. you in situations that are fairly unimaginative for for a longer stretch of time. Yes, there's not a, a comparison I was expecting to hear. <laughs> well, well played. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of yeah, very classic horror imagery and there's blood upon blood upon blood upon blood and and it's, you know, uh, dismembered things a and carnival of the grotesque, I would say. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. pretty pretty gory. Yeah. On the story, Alex79UK from the forum says, I remember an utterly impenetrable story. I have no idea what was going on other than Crazy Man was doing experiments. Yeah. But having said that, you could make the same criticism of most of the Resident Evil games, although they were at least a little more coherent. The story was like a fever dream, a bad trip, a mess of ideas thrown in the air and falling randomly before being stitched together, says Alex. And yeah, that's the weird thing. Like normally I don't, I don't focus really too much on the plot with these things but i suppose when they're there it just felt like they were actual kind of proper I, i'm okay with massive leaps of logic but actual holes in the exposition which are filled in with 20 dollars worth of dlc which i haven't played <laughs> seems mm. seems a little cheeky um it's and... interesting i think that um we mentioned briefly earlier that the mechanics kind of feel like they were all pieced together and not really consistent and the story also feels kind of like that so i mean i it, they're probably both coming from a very similar place you know it was worked on by a lot of people with a lot of different influences with a fairly significant development time mm -hmm. and you know i think it just it was a victim of we talked about this last week with final fantasy 13 um you know it just it's too much and they are trying to do too much at the same time and none of it gets the proper focus really to make it come through as as a, a finished product i i think i mean i think just i i both i agree with alex 79 uk but i i want to emphasize again that like i think the fever dream works for this genre like mm -hmm. it, it, the idea of it being like a random mess of ideas kind of haphazardly stitched together I think makes this game a lot more interesting than than more tonally consistent horror games that I've played. And so it's it's a weird kind of evaluation because on all the metrics that we usually talk about, like it's not very clean. But in this specific instance, especially on this most recent playthrough, I found myself really enjoying this this fever dream and this kind of like bizarre yeah. mishmash more than I expected to. 
the game throws all these documents for you to collect. Like there's a lot of yeah. pictures and missing person notices and papers and things talking about your character Sebastian's backstory, but none of it matters. So like if either just do it, the grab bag, the, the, the uh, tribute to survival horror games and horror fiction and horror films, but, but, and then just kind of almost, you don't, don't even, you need, need the most bare bones of a plot, but this actually stitches this really rather convoluted and complex plot within it. Uh, whereas perhaps they, they could have, you know, kind of almost circumnavigated that and that would have left a lot less kind of collecting and reading of, the, well, the, the, the thing, collecting and reading is always an optional thing, of course. So it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. delayed it. It's, it's not, not like you're forced to sit. <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> you probably probably for the best because this brings me to this lead character who I personally found, you know, nothing against uh, Anson Mount's uh, performance. He was doing what he was directed to do, given a rather archetypal, gruff, uh, modern noirish kind of de- hard bitten detective character. He's got this super grim backstory with you know, a lot of grim backstory tropes, alcoholism and, and the death of a child and the loss of a partner and so on and so forth. But every other horror game and most horror fiction that brings up all that stuff then puts all that stuff into the horror. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. So whether you're talking about The Observer or Silent Hill Shattered Memories or yeah. Silent Hill 2 famously, that then, uh, or even Max Payne, for goodness sake, that becomes then part of the horror. What but I here, will say it, is it's that irrelevant. I believe that they do stuff with that in the second game. I have not yeah, played the second game true. yet. Not yet. No. Uh, but I, from what I understand, that is more of a focus. How much okay. I can't say, but um, it, th- the point is that it was not in this one at all. Yeah, this game was not about Sebastian. This game was about Ruvik. You let you get to know him and his traumas and everything. How how successfully it manages to get that across is another matter of course yeah but there it's telling rubik's rubik's story uh no, still collecting all these little booklets yeah. with information about sebastian's grim backstory oh it was his yeah. partner and they got married and then they had a kid and then there was this fire <laughs> yeah, and that was I, horrible but I it think, doesn't matter in this story i think what they intended the point for that to be is to sort of make him a suspect susceptible figure to be hooked to this machine but yeah mm. pretty thin pretty thin stuff They've got some work to do if they want me to sympathize with him because he's an idiot. Like, capital I, idiot. (laughs) (laughs) He sees all this weird stuff going on and all of these people with barbed wire sprouting into them. And every time, the first thing he does when he sees a new person, he's like a puppy. He goes up, hi, I'm Sebastian. What's your name? (laughs) Like, dude, could you stealth or something? Like, that guy has a knife. He's coming at you. Yeah, he has. Maybe chill. It's it's kind of a trope in, like, every video game with a voice. Voiced character, but like yeah. it underreacts to just everything. It just yeah. chronically, you know, it's like like in one of the first scenes of the game, basically the entire city just falls apart in in a in mm. an event that would mean hundreds of thousands dead. And he's kind of like, well, what was all that about? <laughs> you know, it's just like it immediately yeah. kind of breaks any connection to like him as a person because it's like, oh, I wouldn't even be able to function after this. Had you, any comments on any of the other uh, either characters or performances? You've got Julie, you've got uh, Ruvik, who's played by a horror legend, Jackie Earl Haley chewing the scenery yeah. was he um, i don't think i put that together cool. yeah no i didn't know until i looked it I up think either i liked his uh, delivery and his uh mm. his voice and everything he he for as far as it goes he has you know comparatively to the rest of the game he has quite a 
menacing mm-hmm. presence. What was uh, what was his partner's name? The one with the glasses. Joseph. I I thought he was kind of like a weird, interesting character. I mean, it was like very horror tropey, as was everything else. But him kind of like mm-hmm. sometimes turning to be evil and sometimes not. And and you know, it was just kind of whenever he showed up, I was like. Oh, this guy again. Okay. <laughs> that, that's another Sebastian is an idiot thing. Sebastian, like, sees his partner going insane and doesn't, like, he just kind of, oh, you're okay now, right? Okay, let's go. I mean, I'm not saying he needs to, like, take him down or anything, but maybe he should be a little more concerned. No, his, his face yeah. starts bleeding from every pore, yeah. and then seconds later, it's not. <laughs> He's like, that was weird. Hey, hey, buddy, you need, you need an aspirin? Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Joseph, played by Yuri Lowenthal, who was Spider-Man oh, job, last year's yeah. Marvel's uh, Spider-Man. Uh, and Leslie Withers is the other character probably worth talking about. So Leslie, as again, as little as I understand it from the plot, is somebody who has, uh, who has a mental difference to the norm and they are actually an inpatient in the asylum and they have been identified, or he has been identified, as a kind of uh, the missing link between by the corporation as the missing link between this uh in this stem reality inside Rubik's brain and uh the ability to use the power of that in the real world something along those lines yeah they they're not happy with having to use uh, to rely on, on Rubik's brain so the, the that corporation wants to because he's brain compatible so for some reason with, and with he's Rubik. less evil yeah and he's less evil <laughs> yeah. so they want to use him instead uh, and yeah. Ruvik wants to use Lessie because it's he's his way out, basically. I uh, constantly, <laughs> throughout the story, I just kind of assumed they were going to be the same person because they were I just so like too. they look so similar. They were just as like well. small, yeah. pale boys, and I was like, yeah. okay, I see where this is going. And then it didn't. I thought maybe he was a ma- manifestation of his older, more in- or, or his younger, more innocent self, or something for, yeah. for the longest, yeah. or even like a brother or something. You know, some reason that he was going to yes. be, you know, the, the had sure. the same brain yeah. or enough of this the same brain to to run this machine and leslie kind of walks away at the end but possibly it's an apparition i didn't no i think it's uh it's actually sort of the the horror trope cliffhanger of where the monster has escaped he's when you when you stomped his brain he was no longer in there he's uh he took over leslie's body uh because you see normally Les- leslie just sort of huddles forward with his back hunched and you see him walking away quite normally from the from the asylum does he? I, I thought think... he was still shuffling. No, no, he's like uh, well, walking around with quite a confident, uh, or a confident stride. So okay. yeah, there's only one ending, isn't there? There's not multiple endings yeah. in this game. And um, yeah, uh, I think uh, so. Rubik actually got what he wanted in the end. He got out. Okay. Uh, well, we may touch on the uh, the story and and things uh, as we go on, but I do want to mention the fact that. Um, the game has a lot of nods to Resident Evil from the title onwards. A lot of winks, some more subtle than others, some less subtle, like the one where one of the first enemies you meet turns around to the camera in the exact same yeah. uh, shot. Yeah, and then that as, zombie as says, in... it's like Resident Evil, remember? <laughs> Get it? Evil. Evil within. Get it? Yeah. I think it also has, um, and I mean, we mentioned that it, it has a lot of different horror tropes, but I think there's also some pretty significant Silent Hill references. And um, yeah. the one specifically that I that really came 
came to me as a Silent Hill reference was uh, the, um, I don't remember what the actual character name is, but it's the safe-headed guys yeah, yeah, they yeah. have. Definitely a pyramid um, head oh, type sure. of Yeah, character. I mean, that that guy, Keeper. that's just pyramid head with a safe instead of a pyramid. Like, that's yeah. that's all that is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the whole uh, idea of all these horrors being sort of manifest- uh, manifestations of somebody's uh, psychological uh, mm-hmm. or psychology uh, it's very, very Silent, Silent Hill, Hill, of course. Thing, yes. yeah, all these, like the the sadist, the keeper, and then uh, yeah, the, the the shrieking uh, multi-legged woman. They're all like, yeah, yeah, aspects or memories or uh, aspects of uh, of Rubik's personality. Yeah, yes, and nothing to do with Sebastian. And no. <laughs> again, so what's the point of having the game where you? I suppose you're in his brain, but you. Oh, I don't know. But if you're not, if you're not conscious you would have thought that then that, that would be the excuse to bring in elements of the character that you're playing's kind of demons and subconscious rather than just ignoring those altogether. Anyway, that's for the sequel, apparently. Um, let's talk about the graphics, uh, and both in terms of technical and artistic design. I played on Xbox One, so it's one of the the lower-end versions. It It certainly looked like it's running at a pretty low frame rate. Definitely looked like a game that had been put together and designed on the previous gen consoles but i uh imagine that then the experience for jacob playing it recently on pc was was markedly different obviously we don't we're not able to compare and contrast uh it looked rough to me pretty much like there's some there's some cool artistic design in there lots of cliche and lots of some pretty cool looking monsters but actually the 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 frame rate and resolution is uh, and lighting and effects and is all quite um even for 2014 it looked a bit kind of um retro it is interesting to hear because the the pc version i can be unabashedly like positive it looks stunning like when i when i first booted it up to play it again i was i was pretty blown away by like how good it still looked and and the lighting and the detail on the characters and everything like it is a really really good looking game when running at you know i'm i'm not doing 4k i'm just doing like 1080 60 probably but but it really I think has the opportunity to shine on a system as powerful as I've got. And, and that made all of the character design and whatever stand out even more because I, you know, I felt like I was seeing it how they intended me to. Did you have to do like a lot of work with it though? Like a lot of patching or anything? No, not, not at all. I, again, I don't know what's been done since it released, Mm -hmm. but I basically, I turned it on, I told the letterboxing off, and then I put everything up to Ultra, and it like ran ran on its own. Well, nice. I could almost be persuaded to to have a look at it, because that was one thing which did to drag the experience down for me. Not that I'm a graphics or even a performance whore as such, but uh, when it, is, it can be tough, as everyone knows, to come off yeah. the back of something... 2019 4k hdr vintage to something and it's not even that i mean it yeah the performance uh becomes an issue mechanically as well when you Mm -hmm. start uh you know uh, when you get frame skipping and you're trying to aim a very precise shot at something i would uh, say that's not an issue your cursor just sort of uh yeah, has a has jumped to a, a different spot on the on the screen. Yeah, I would imagine that's a particular issue on the previous gen console versions or a very weak PC. But the I think the Xbox One and PS4 versions at least hold twenty five to thirty frames a second, uh, even though that's yeah. not spectacular. Uh, I 
can but imagine. But I don't do at all times, having played a, a, a big chunk yeah. of the PS4, PS4 versions, uh, oh, okay. PS4 version as well. We will, I'm sure, talk about like enemies and stuff in general. But one of the things that's really impressive to me about this that is kind of something that started happening in the in the PS4 and Xbox One generation more so is is seeing kind of like the creature deformations as they happen do you know like i've right. i have played hundreds of hours of of resident evil 4 and 5 and whatever and so having this game like shooting a guy in the head and seeing a hole punched right through his head and then seeing him like keep coming was like a pretty viscerally shocking moment that mm. I, I suppose probably could have been done and was was a design decision as much as a technical one but but the kind of feeling of like shooting bits off of the enemies is yeah, right. is really strong in this game at least for me and i found that it, <laughs> it contributed a lot to like how i thought the gunplay felt that's interesting you say that. This was a feature also of Turok 2 on the on the Nintendo 64, <laughs> where you could blow holes through enemies and look look straight through them. But I imagine like with a lot of developments, it's always give and take, right? So they, when once technology increases and uh, it's just like cer certain parts of technology get get prioritized over other uh, bits that might start yeah i imagine in Turok 2 uh, you couldn't <laughs> in Turok 2 you probably couldn't like look inside their head and see their brain from the inside out or whatever horrible thing i remember seeing this kind of effect in house of the dead uh 2 and, and thinking whoa yeah that's uh that's strong stuff alex 79 uk again said uh, i played it on the ps3 and i remember very little of it i know i enjoyed the first half of the game but ultimately became so much of a slog i abandoned my playthrough and never went back i remember the horrible letterboxing which was eventually patched out says alex was okay. that even was it patched out on the 360 version in the ps3 because uh, like, I assumed it was there like Dragon's Dogma for performance reasons. Yeah, I think it's it's still in there. I didn't try to turn it off because I was kind of okay with it, actually. I'm not... Uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm not into video games for the cinematic experience, but everything together, I think it fits fairly well aesthetically. Yeah, <laughs> I did I did sort of... I, I wasn't sure which to go with. I thought, well, if this is the director's vision, maybe I should stick with it. But then I, I did a little reading online and people were saying, yeah. if you can turn it off, turn it off, because it the, actually hampers the, your... Yeah, the thing okay. is, and this, I, this I learned after playing only, after looking into, more into the technical side of the game, is it's not a letterboxing in that it changes the aspect ratio. It just no, adds no. black bars to the top Two of the black bottom. Bars. Yeah. And it obscures Absolutely. things like uh, traps uh, yes. at your feet. So, yeah. Precisely. I might have mm -hmm. had a better time if I... <laughs> it only had the possibility uh, yeah. to turn off the letterboxes. I would like to uh, express my mini rant here, uh, and it's Go. that, please, it, like, it is not that big a deal. Suck it up. It's black bars. Like, do you also <laughs> have to play the pan and scan versions of movies? Because that, that annoyed me, and I know that some people really genuinely do have issues with it, and like, but, but those were not the people who were whining consistently about it on the internet. So, I mean, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of unnecessary whining. Just to play devil's advocate here, it's not like a movie though, because it, you are seeing less. Like when, it's not like the screen is scrunched down. It's like you just have 30% yeah. less game that you're looking at. So I think that's the issue. It's, it's, not a tr it's not a real aspect ratio thing where, yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah it's just actually, masking yeah. or it's asking the, yeah, machine to display. But I do, uh, I do agree with Leah that I'm not uh, super bothered if, uh, yeah, if if a game is letterboxed and it's, if it's a pure 
aspect ratio thing. I will say that I stopped noticing it pretty quickly on, and I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad because I, I, I would be upset if I were particularly bothered by it. But um, and you have you have control over the camera, so you can look up and down. And actually, there is an argument that it could, yeah, uh, add to claustrophobia and tension because because you can't see all the traps at your feet the minute you enter a room or something like that. So. Uh, the game is actually pretty devious at sticking traps in places that you're not likely to see them. <laughs> anyway, I found at various points, like bombs like running corners. running from uh, from a keeper, and uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I kept messing up the uh, R1 L1 uh, dash versus uh, crouch, so I would be trying to run away from something, and instead would just end up like squatting down <laughs> in front of it, and yeah. Uh, that was my fault, not in any yeah. way the games, but uh, it was pretty funny. For those, those of us like everyone on Kane and Rince who plays a ton of different games all the time, it can be very difficult remembering what controls do what on different games, uh, at least until the, uh, the muscle memories kicked in a bit. We've already mentioned it, the grab bag of horror, but I just wanted to talk a little bit more about it or, or get your opinions really on um, whether that was the right way to go to basically say, OK, we'll take body horror, haunted house, psychological horror, supernatural horror, all the horrors and put them all in. We'll just chuck them all in this game and then it will be like a big ode to horror. Or uh, is it more, could it have been more effective if they'd gone for one subgenre of horror? It could have been, but at that point it would have been a different game, I think. Uh, yeah. I, I want I, I, to kind of go back on um, what Jacob was saying earlier, like it, it and Correct me if I am if I am misquoting here, but um, it just seems like since every it, basically if you don't take the whole thing to one hundred percent seriously, then the fact that it does have all of this different stuff, it it kind of fits, you know. It doesn't like it, it's not it's not focusing in on any one thing, so it doesn't have to be the perfect psychological horror or the perfect creature horror because it has so much other stuff in it that it. I, I don't know. I, I liked I liked it um, in the way that it kind of always kept you guessing, uh, kind of always kept you a little bit on your toes. Um, that is not to say that I really think that it was the best coherently, but um, I, I it was fun. I think I think is what I'm going for there. Yeah, I mean, we I think everyone here probably loves Resident Evil Four, and and one of that game's strengths is it goes from village to castle to military island to laboratory or you know these like very disconnected locations and although that one does it probably a little more smoothly than the evil within i really enjoyed the kind of jumps where it's like oh i had just got comfortable in this kind of like you know villa or whatever that i'm in and now i'm in a castle from dark souls 2 or something like i i really it did keep me on my toes and it kept me interested in the gameplay in in like certainly if this game was the same length but more tonally consistent i think i would have just been hopelessly bored interestingly owing to its graphic nature according to the evil within wikia the japanese release psycho break was heavily edited to censor out various situations or effects deemed overly gruesome to meet uh, Cero d requir requirements God, left <laughs> <laughs> a rating of 17 plus as opposed to adults only was what they were going for and they got by censoring it or you know making the decision to excise certain elements examples of such censorship are the removal of dismemberment and decapitation effects so we wouldn't have had those in the japanese version such as that the haunted no longer blow apart when struck by explosives or 
explosives or headshots and various corps, corpses are covered up or replaced with generic viscera. <laughs> oh, good. As opposed to specific viscera. I gotcha. That's, that's, in, that's actually really interesting because I think that would, I, I guess this is up to interpretation, but I would think that that would actually affect gameplay in some in some uh, aspects because one of the things that you can upgrade is your yeah. critical hit capacity and right. basically yeah. what that does is that's the chance of their head Popping. blowing up when you mm -hmm. actually i mean it, it's possible that they kept the same effect and just took the graphical part out of it Probably. but um yeah. but yeah it's I, I wonder if that did have any effect oh, and you're way. right because that kind of like the sound especially that it makes when the head mm -hmm. blows up is kind of the only way you know they're dead you know enemies kind of, of keep getting a lot back of good up. Foley, very yeah. squishy <laughs> they do yeah uh, however there is a twist to this tale, Japanese players who are 18 and up and have reserved a copy of Psycho Break ahead of time were given a redeemable code that restores the game's original graphical content, which was tentatively named Gore Mode. <laughs> so if you basically you could prove your 18-ness, you can get the full fat version. Wonderful. Seems like a good way to do <laughs> things. <laughs> Let's talk about the audio, always a crucial factor in these games. Uh, I Talking about the squishy splashy headshots uh all that stuff seemed all present and correct to me uh, i i think overall the the soundscape was uh, as one would expect but well what's the word realized i will say that it was sufficiently disgusting uh for what it was trying to and it was supposed to be so mm. you know yeah yeah i i really liked um i thought there were several like specific things that worked really well the the rifle sounds excellent in this game especially because it's usually paired with you like hitting someone in the head and so like the kind of crack of that um i mm -hmm. really liked yeah. the um this is partially because i edited ryan's um 2014 mix with it but the um the kind of carnival music that plays when you're in that like demented funhouse oh, yeah. thing is love a bit of demented fun yes house music. is is very is, is very good and i think works very well in that um i don't remember much of the music but like it certainly wasn't offensively bad and there were several sound effects that i was like a big fan of and we have to mention claire de lune yeah because i know it's been playing on mikhail's mind Debussy, is it most memorable uh piece of music from the whole game uh, of course obviously for me and uh yeah i mean it i was playing long stretches of the game before going to bed late at night and that mm. music just kept on going in my head i felt like i was losing it itself a nod <laughs> to resident evil because of course although it wasn't the safe room music we had moonlight sonata yeah. and then you've got claire de lune in yeah the evil within and the moon is always uh um uh, yeah, a, a, a welcome a symbol of uh, mental um, unstableness. Yes. Yes, there's no actual... Are there actual lycan... Yeah, there are kind of lycanthropes in this, aren't there? There's 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 a, there's a that big guarding wolf monsters in that sort of slightly Dark Souls-y boss fight moment where you've got the uh, the big dog, basically, mm -hmm. in, a, in an area. That's when you have to go back in and get um, Joseph's glasses. Yeah. <laughs> God. My glasses! <laughs> Um. <laughs> I can't see without my glasses. It's, it's not just about being able to see. It's about feeling yeah. normal. Yeah, but that's what he s tells you after you risk your life to get him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can actually perfectly see, <laughs> see fine with him, you know. <laughs> now, I wonder if this next part, we always talk about 
you know, this is the third person character action game, whether it's more on the survival horror or the shoot 'em up end, you're still controlling a person from behind with a camera fairly close up to them. And as such, the locomotion, the feeling of controlling the player, we've already talked about button confusion in certain situations. Um, I wonder Again, if th- that's just me. I'm just, just bad. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I had the same things a few, few times well, yeah, on, the, on the bumpers. Um, I wonder if this is slightly affected by the, the frame rate of the different versions as well, because game feel is obviously hugely affected by frame rate as well as actual yeah. you know, ability to play it well. Um, I wonder if the game playing on on sixty frames plus on a on a PC would actually make the whole thing feel like a slicker experience. For me, it felt a little. It was it was never you know bad as such, but uh, but it it didn't always feel like the most kind of reliable character control. It I, it was fine, um, but and he can move and shoot, unlike um, you know some of his counterparts in. <laughs> In, in those other games. But um, yeah, what did you guys reckon? One aspect of locomotion that at first I was pretty annoyed with, but then actually grew to like was um, how incredibly short your sprint is. Um, because oh, particularly yeah. <laughs> at the beginning, you can run for like a second and a half. And worse than me in real life, <laughs> genuinely. Yeah. And, and so it's like, you know, if you're treating it as kind of a run button, it, it's almost useless but if you're using it as kind of like a boost you know to kind of like scoot away from an enemy or something then i actually i really liked the like you know just just letting them get close enough and then like running backwards and then it's also something that you can upgrade um but it's it's one of many things in this game that i like initially felt very weird and then as i played more i kind of like understood why they did it and and got to enjoy it a little bit more yeah it almost feels like a one of those games that's got a kind of perfect dodge mechanic mm-hmm. like uh at first because the yeah to to use it to actually run away from things is it's not like you just run out of it either you not you could not only run out of stamina but you pretty much end up slumped in a heap oh, yeah you're gasping you're completely, for breath. you're like a sitting duck if you let your yeah. uh, your sebastian has pretty severe out. asthma um he just needs <laughs> a second his with backstory. his inhaler yes <laughs> he's a drinker and a smoker but uh, i think <laughs> i mean this is actually my <laughs> thank you <laughs> nice yeah, he so, had somebody to had there. to say, say it, yeah um yeah uh, I mean, but this is actually my biggest beef with the game as a whole. Is If you go back to Resident Evil 4, sure, the controls of the game are restrictive, but uh, Leon Kennedy con- uh, controls completely sharp and on a dime in that game. Um, he's just a joy to control. Whereas Sebastian, I mean, something tells me that this game has sort of it's, it's a bit of a victim of the mandatory upgrade trees of, of uh, characters mm. in, uh, in action games, where you, game you basically have a, uh, con- cor- a character that controls like a wet blanket, and you actually need to start <laughs> spending points to, for him to start functioning normal. Because yeah. it's not just the dash, it's also the way he sort of hobbles around and doesn't stop on a dime. Yeah, the, I mean, the performance probably also play, plays into it. But he's just like he's all he's all over the place in some of his animations and his transitions are very very very, yeah. uh, very jarring and yeah turning him Labored. around and mm. yeah he's some, like sometimes Dead Rising the the early runs of Dead mm. Rising which is obviously another yeah. s- seven years older than this but that's designed to be rerun and rerun but you can 
you can new game plus this and keep where you've got to with Sebastian. There are a number of times I got just stuck in traps that I absolutely saw, but just because of his little hobble or a little, little, you know, yeah. like a, a slight touch of the stick already ma- made quite. him hobble into a certain direction. I still got uh, yeah, a fair amount of deaths that way. I'd say he's a bit more responsive than, say, uh, Red Dead Redemption controls, something like that. But yes, not as sharp and snappy as you might expect from a veteran yeah. Japanese top-tier game designer. I would uh, wish that at this point the, the game would have taken more of a page out of Resident Evil Force book and just focus on upgrading your weapons and those kind of abilities rather than making your character control slightly less awkward. I spent a lot of the game, I would say a good two-thirds of the game at least, um, stel- or not stealthing, but crouching. Like, yeah. I, it's supposed to be stealthing. It wasn't always, but um, yeah, I and I'm not a fan of stealth games in general. There are a few exceptions to that, but usually Same. I... If I can go into somewhere and just, you know, go guns blazing instead of having to deal with the stealth, I will usually choose that option. Here... You can't really do that. I mean, you can, but you have to be very, very effective yeah. uh, because you are so low on ammo most of the time that if you're just trying to take everything out, you you need to be uh, really on your game. Well, it's a yeah, survival difficulty. Sorry, go ahead, Jay. I think it's a really good um, good point of comparison that you brought up, Mikhail, with Resident Evil Four because the first time I played this, I was really expecting you know i was like this is a shinji mikami game resident evil 4 is my favorite game you know this is this is gonna be Mm. just like that and because of that i found it really unsatisfying um but then this most recent time with i think just like a little more space between them um i found myself enjoying it more and i think what what i kind of figured out was the biggest difference in my head is is Resident Evil 4 is a horror game, but it's almost perfectly predictable in terms of like combat design where yeah. where I know that every time if I have one bullet, I can shoot a guy in the head, run up, kick him, knife him while he's down and like that's it. And and yeah. in the evil within just does not let you do that because enemies can take such a variable amount of damage mm-hmm. and and things mm-hmm. seem so randomized in a way that that means you that never sense, feel it's like... a little bit more maybe like the first Resident Evil, right? Yeah. Well, what it means is that you you feel like you don't have a mastery over the game. Um, yeah. So so I as a Resident Evil Four follow up. It, yeah, it is immensely unsatisfying, but I think taken on its own merits, it's actually doing something else, you know, in an effort to make you feel vulnerable. And I grew to really like that. So one of the things that I found really interesting, and we'll, we'll talk about difficulty settings here as well, because obviously it's relevant to the experience. I played the first half of the game on the default setting, which is called survival, two skulls out of three. There's a nightmare setting above it. Uh, harder enemies still fewer ammo drops etc but there's also a casual difficulty what happened to me was i got halfway through to a particular section which is a multi-stage boss fight against uh, the keeper and i played that whole level and i ended up at that fight with no ammo whatsoever uh, which would have made it rather difficult i'd kind of painted myself into a corner and at this point i was extremely conscious that i couldn't really spend another two weeks getting stuck on this game when I've got 
uh, Metal Gear Solid 5 to play for the show as well. So I did do the thing of putting it on casual. I read on the wikia uh, that Shinji Mikami is more than okay with this. He says, while the series, uh, or the wikia says, while the series is known for its survival horror roots and nature, Shinji Mikami actually intends for the games to be played on casual difficulty, if possible, as he felt the added challenge on higher modes distracts from the game's narrative and causes <laughs> needless frustrations to players newer to the genre. Now, I will say I was actually having a better time in many ways on survival difficulty, but uh, it was starting to get a little bit too you know, tense and frustrating given the circumstances that I was playing in. But I would actually recommend that people do stick with survival if they can. I looked at the achievements on Xbox for number a percentage of people who played the game who have completed it on survival, and it was... Uh, was it 7%? Something it's like low, that. Yeah. Yeah, 7%. So a lot of people will have dialed it down or not finished it at all. Um, and it is quite demanding. But my actually, although I, I enjoyed the game as a whole, my strongest experiences of it were early on when I was not completely underpowered, but largely underpowered. And there's a level early on, which is almost like a kind of horror sandbox level. Mm -hmm. Stage three, I think, is the village. And it's a key level in many ways. You get both. There's there's one house in which you get both the shotgun and the crossbow, which yeah. I thought was a weird piece of pacing for a game, but uh, it worked. And I thought that level was a real highlight. And for me, like the, if the game had been those kind of scenarios all the way through, rather than the more linear shoot 'em up stuff that it becomes, it could have been something closer to a classic. Well, I think I, first of all, I think that 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 level is. Um... <laughs> one of the most similar to a Resident Evil 4 level, so maybe yeah. that's part of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that it echoes very strongly with the first level in the Resident Evil 4 when you are in the village. Um, yeah, there's even point. a chainsaw guy. Um, but true. Yeah, but um, what I was going to say about the uh, about the difficulty is that I started it on casual because I know, I know who I am and I know that I'm not yeah. great at these kinds of games usually. Um, and I still found it to be pretty satisfying. It is a little easier in some of the early parts, um, but I, I think that it's funny that you say that Shinji Mikami uh, intended for it to be played on casual because they try pretty hard to shame you out of playing on casual yep. at the very beginning. It does that thing that I hate, which is making the easier setting say, oh, this is for if you're uh, weak, or, I think it says weak and easily frightened or something like yeah. that. I'm like, well, no, <laughs> I just don't want to have to shoot things five times in the head before they die like i would rather not have to deal with that particular part of yeah. uh, of of this and you know i people are going to have different experiences with it i don't even think that you on do you even unlock the uh the nightmare difficulty from the start or no do you, you unlock akumu yeah, 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 uh, yeah which is the ludicrous you know uh -huh. one hit deaths and sure. utter utter hell kind of setting yeah mm -hmm. but yeah no i i i found it to be for me uh, pretty satisfying even on the uh, the casual difficulty so uh, if if you think that you might like to play this and uh, not have too much frustration uh, yeah. don't listen when it tells you that you're weak because you're not so there no shame in it at all the yes. cool th the cool thing about the l incredibly little amount of ammo you get on survival difficulty and it will be worse of course on the high difficulties is that mm. it forces you to be very resourceful in these uh, situations and uh, use the environment a lot. Try to sneak kill wherever you can to just save ammo altogether. Um, and I don't 
I typically don't really enjoy uh, watching anime patterns uh, for for a no. long time and trying to sneak through situations with insta kill uh, scenarios. But um, I do enjoy the the stealthy approach when you you can just approach a situation to your most advantageous, uh, you know, uh, to to be uh, to 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 your highest advantage and approach mm. it in the in the most optimal and best possible way and trying out different ways to do that. And yeah. and certainly at the best moments the game tickled those uh, yeah tick, tickled that part uh, very much for me yeah Jacob I, you're a bit of a ninja uh, yeah I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't agree more with Mikhail, um in that I I didn't actually stealth that much and so maybe I was putting myself at a disadvantage I would I would just kind of run in and hit a trap and then everyone would know where I was but. Um, but I thought that the kind of the thing that the later Resident Evils do where they adjust the amount of ammo and and health and stuff that they give you according to how much you have yeah, was, was really dialed up to 11 in this. And so I had experiences where I I never truly ran out of ammo, but I did have like three bullets and I was like, how am I going yeah. to get through this? And then and then I would like just squeak by and that makes all yeah. of the experiences where like there's a there's a mechanic where you can burn bodies and if there's an enemy that's walking over a body when you strike the match yes. and light it then you can get yeah. it and and getting that feels incredible because every enemy if you don't get that represents five handgun bullets or you know a shotgun mm -hmm. shot or whatever and so it makes these moments of victory really stand yeah. out yeah a box of a box of three matches or something is uh, is a joy to get hold of. Yeah. Obviously, this uh, this sort of nods back to the the Crimson Heads from the Resident Evil remake, mm -hmm. the burning all the corpses as you go. Yeah. One of the most um, entertaining moments I had with the whole game was again on that that level three. Exactly what we're talking about. Like I think I, while I was still on survival mode, I think I had at least six or seven attempts at that level, maybe more actually, just trying different routes and and ways through it uh, and uh, coming a cropper on multiple occasions and as i say it felt like a real yeah like horror sandbox which is not something that i've felt from a game quite in that way before and because uh, one of the attempts i released the chainsaw guy who's called the sadist earlier than at another time you end up with the entire like all the population of the village all the they're all monsters zombies whatever you want to call them manifestations covered in barbed wire and bits of shards of glass and bits hanging off if you don't clear them all out first like the level and the ai as such as it is knows that you're still there and it's time for them all to come at you so you can actually end up in a kind of full on like being charged down by eight, nine, 10, 11 of these guys. Yeah. But if you slowly pick your way around and, and um, take them out via stealth one by one, as you go through, uh, you can make yourself, you can give yourself an easier kind of end of level. So it's actually kind of, yeah, it's proper emergent and like constructive gameplay situations here if, puzzles to be solved if you do just want to yolo it though you can stand on top and uh throw grenades down at him before he busts sure. out because if you kill him everything else dies oh really right oh yeah huh. i did Even something similar i was kind of running around and uh yeah you don't have anything that'll snipe at that point but you can i mean he'll if you before once you hit him a couple of times from above he will bust out and then you're left with the same issue but i did do something similar where i had like a bunch of them following me around but i just kept kind of going for him 
and once he falls they all fall i do want to point out how ridiculous it is that in very video game logic you can carry like 12 crossbow bolts and a shotgun and also four matches unless it's like just can't hold another match i'm sorry yeah in the yes, beginning, I didn't clock that uh, it's uh, a waste of matches to burn just about every corpse you come across because if you stealth killed an enemy or pop their head off, you don't need to burn them mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. Uh, but the matches yeah. become worth gold when you, where I just was to save a lot of ammo, I was uh, kneecapping enemies and then throwing a match on top of them Absolutely. immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been quite nice if they'd actually turned off the. Would have been quite nice if they turned off the ability to burn the corpses that there was no benefit to burning. Yeah, but uh, but I suppose uh, that's that you got to weigh your risk reward there. Yeah, yeah true yeah. enough. I think that was very intentional. Yeah, I think so too. And I what... quite like the the fact that uh, that again that level is the one I keep talking about because I I think it was the most memorable part for me in a way was uh, when you first go in there are basically dudes hanging up from the rafters uh, just just dangling there uh, that you don't know at the time but they will become actively in play enemies later on. You can either burn them there and then, or 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 wait for them to uh, to get involved later. Yeah, and I think one key item that makes the combat in this game uh, different from others in this sort of nebulous action adventure horror uh, genre is uh, the cr- the the crossbow of agony. Is that what it's mm-hmm. called? Yes. Yeah, because because of the different elemental bolts and everything you have, it's like this magical weapon. Uh, and the cool thing is that you can actually use the different bolts to set traps around the area. So you become uh, the, the person that uh, starts setting traps mm. around as well, uh, where you don't have to shoot a body with an explosive bolt. You can shoot one uh, in a pathway, and when enemies come that way, they'll blow up, for example. And there's, yeah. there's a lot of that sort of cool tricks you can, uh, you can do. It's also... I love the crossbow. Reminded me a bit of uh, Welcome to Ravenholm, this level as well, actually. Uh, The crossbow is interesting in terms of the game's economy because you are limited on so much that you can hold. You know, you can only have five shotgun shells and whatever, but you can hold unlimited parts to make crossbow bolts out of. And so there were times where I was almost out of everything, but I had like 30 you know machine parts which was enough to make you know a huge amount of crossbow yeah. bolts and i was like well i guess i'm using this for the rest of the way through yeah absolutely and yeah very satisfying to to use as well cool effect also it. yeah where you can uh nail uh enemies against the wall with uh yeah with, with bolts. multiple yeah. enemies as well yeah. freeze yeah. them and then go up and just smash smash them, them. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that brings me to the melee because I did think very early on the game, on in the game, that melee was going to be a bigger deal than it ended up being. You yeah. end up with what six or seven projectile weapons, yeah, and the occasional axe as well. Uh, but right early on, melee seems to be a crucial part. There were a couple of bits where I ended up kind of kiting between um, two enemies and just kind of laying a slap on them and then running away <laughs> with with my three seconds of sprint stamina uh, because I, you know, because I was being conservative with with my ammo as it turns out uh, i mean you can power up your melee same as everything else i did wonder i was thinking oh is this going to be like bioshock Mm. where actually the most powerful thing in the game is to punch things really hard but um apparently you can unlock the brass knuckles at the end of nightmare difficulty which gives you much more punching power but no uh i stepped away from this in the end yeah i i I didn't even bother upgrading melee since it was uh, obvious very early on when i was trying to 
take down enemies with uh, with his crazy wild haymaker punch, <laughs> and uh, nothing nothing much uh, was happening. So I I just for for uh, yeah forwent all uh, attempts to upgrade the uh, melee. Okay. And, uh, his drunken fist. A related <laughs> yeah, section exactly. that I found very entertaining was when you're in the castle and you're with Joseph. And you're just normal, but he's carrying like a big fireman's axe and can basically <laughs> like one hit KO people. And so that whole level, yeah. I was just kind of kiting enemies around to get them in range of his axe. And so then he would yeah. just swing and like oh, burst no. them like a balloon. Yeah, Joseph mm. is is ridiculous in that chapter. <laughs> he's like uh, taking them all out. He the only time he's not very active is when he's trying to defuse those bombs or, that are set to doors. Yeah. Uh, but then when you when you when you let him go. It's just like you you sick him on the enemies and you sort of make sure he's okay. When you do have, uh, when you can find the uh, the weapons, the uh, the axes, I, I don't remember if there's, and torches as well, torches. Yeah. Um, when you find those, they're very good, but they're I one, think they one all kill, break uh, after, yeah. Enemies, yeah. Yes, but they also break or, or yeah. are like one, I, torches might be more than one use, but I think axes are always one use. It's um, a bit unnecessary. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, that... <laughs> I understand why. It's but nice, it's... but yeah, I, I think the only place uh, other than if I had found a weapon that I really found the melee to be of any use is uh, when you're dealing with the invisible enemies um, to if if you really aren't sure where they are, but you know that they're close to you, they will appear for a second if you smack them with your fist. So I was just kind of yeah. walking into a place where I knew one was waiting for it to come after me and then just swinging my arms around until I hit <laughs> one so that I'd know where to shoot and not waste any bullets. Uh, I found that section one of the most tense uh, bits of the whole game actually with those invisible enemies like you sneak through those mm -hmm. empty hospital corridors and something falls over and you know there's something there yeah. that you can't see yeah i thought that yeah. was, I was really expertly done maybe because i had all my like settings dialed up and whatever but there were so many things that could be you know like little puddles and things that could be knocked over and whatever and it was they're they're invisible enemies in several games but i felt like this did it really well I was yeah, really I worried so, yeah. they were just going to overdo it with the invisible enemies, um, but that was probably that Thankfully, point where I. Thankfully, it was I, just that section. Section, yeah. Yeah, I played a I played a segment of the game uh, where I feel I felt particularly scared and disoriented, and it was the invisible enemies part, and I was like, I can't even tell where they're coming from. And then after <laughs> about fifteen minutes, I, re I realized I had my headphones on the wrong way around, <laughs> which uh, which was that, that'll do it. <laughs> confusing the heck out of me. I made up uh, I made up a German word for that. Sinnesverfremdungsgefühl. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> uh, ben Blaster from the forum says the game isn't without its faults. At the times, the lack of, uh, at times the lack of ammo can be more frustrating than frightening. However, there was a lot I enjoyed. The world building was simply great, and the game carried a constant, nasty, oppressive atmosphere. The enemy design was superb. But should we expect anything less considering the names behind this game? Meanwhile, female pheromones says, being a big Resident Evil fan, I was actually really excited about this game before launch and couldn't wait for it to be released. Unfortunately, I was massively let down. At first, I actually liked the setting and the art style, but pretty quickly I got frustrated with the lack of ammo and bullet sponge enemies. It seemed like an enemy would take six hits to put down, but they could kill you in two. As I say, as a big Resident Evil fan, I thought I would be really into it. But after a couple of hours, I realized it wasn't for me and haven't been back since. Try casual difficulty, I would say. Female pheromones. It, uh, it does take away that bullet sponge frustration. Yeah. And there's, that's what you're after. And, and just as a note, it's, I think uh, I'm, I don't want to say you, play, you played it wrong. 
but uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not really to, to get rid of enemies quickly. You you shouldn't be l- pumping a lot of ammo into them. You should be using mm. the environment more, using explosives more, and all sorts of tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got we've got the difficulties listed in the show notes here, and I just want to note Akumu is one of those kind of like in Dead Space Two, where you only have yeah. like a limited number of saves as well. I'm pretty sure, that's and true. so it's like marathon sessions of the game, and and I love that that's included, but in a game with yeah. this game has so many one hit kills, like so many kind mm-hmm. of traps, and it's just like oh, you just weren't crouching at the right time, and so I really can't imagine ever going through on that difficulty. Yeah. I believe yeah. there's a trophy for beating it in I think five hours. Wow, um, that seems. Fast. I don't. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that uh, it has a difficulty setting tied to it, but that that seems like one of those you know it, it you wouldn't be able to save very many times because you would just end up wasting your time trying to go yeah. back to the save room and everything so yeah, yeah it's not a short game i think no. about 14 hours mm-hmm. for me yeah, probably about that i put uh, put in 20 yeah, yeah you I, played I, it survival all the way through so that would explain that yeah yeah and i was feeling that anxiety a lot as well uh, mm. especially yeah. since i stepped in last moment and i thought oh i've got two weeks you know i should be able to do it it's not a <laughs> oh, J- yeah. it's not a jrpg and I was uh, starting to regret my decision to uh, to step in after a while, especially when I had to face that uh, amalgam uh, alpha boss with very little of resources, and I just kept kept dying yeah. for one hour straight uh, trying to defeat yeah. him. Is that the car park? Yeah, oh. the car park. The, okay, the underground so car park boss. Yeah, there are there are some rooms dotted around with stuff in, but yeah. but uh, if he is... see, if he sees you and uh, you sneak <laughs> in there, he he smashes those rooms apart. In yeah, the end, I point. took him down uh, without even having compromised any of the two uh, store storerooms. Uh, I don't okay. know how I did it in the end, but I did it. It's quite a lot of explosive stuff around. Yeah. It's the... a cool boss, actually, because of, yeah. uh, he's, he's completely blind to you when you're behind him and his eye stalk is not out. And then his eye stalk is searching around the room for you. But uh, yeah, very, very frustrating. And it made me uh, feel very anxious and very conscious of this looming recording deadline i know that was a bit that darren uh we're glad we're glad you made it i know that was one that darren who was originally going to be on this show uh who i did he had finished the game he stepped out for other reasons but um but he talked about that being especially frustrating one hit kill boss fight mm-hmm. there's a quite a few moments like that and it seems a bit arbitrary whether whether the boss fights are one hit or not what i will say is that um even though overall i wasn't you know overwhelmed by the the visual quality of the xbox one version i think some of the Obviously, we've you know we've seen a lot of horrible stuff in video games before, but I think some of the boss creatures were were striking looking, and most importantly of all, really really well animated. Mm. The um, the patient who comes at you a few times, who's frightened of fire, uh, is or can be hurt by fire. Uh, it's got some really spectacular animation, um, even if some of the the regular mobs are a bit, or at least on on the lower res versions, are a bit indistinct and. One Whatever. thing that um, um, I, I did find with the bosses that I kind of can't decide if I like or not was there were several times where I didn't know if I was supposed to kill something, you know, like, do they want uh-huh. me to throw yeah. all my ammo at this and then they'll like give yes. it back after or or should I just run away? And again, it's yeah. like in terms of kind of like a satisfying gameplay experience that might not be that good. But in terms of like making me feel really anxious and insecure, mm. it worked wonders. And maybe that was yeah. their intention. So, yeah, Com- complete, completely agree. I, I was conditioned at a point. 
to just not start unloading everything I had into a box monster, but actually try to outrun it and see if there was any way out of the situation mm-hmm. rather than fighting it. Yeah. The bosses, uh, each boss represents a different aspect of Ruvik's broken mental state. The Keeper, or Safe Head, represents Ruvik's desire to protect his secret research. The Sadist, the Chainsaw Dude, portrays Ruvik's homicidal rage. The Long Haired Creature is based on Ruvik's memories of his sister. That's the patient that I mentioned. And the Camouflage Tentacle Creature, <laughs> capital C, represents his desire to stay hidden from the world. But yeah, there's not only bosses that can give you one hit kills. There's a couple of sort of trap puzzles and things. There's like uh, the room with the the altars in, where you can just try to run through. And if you've if you've missolved this fairly simple puzzle, but it isn't, it doesn't communicate itself terribly well. I don't think you can just walk into the next room and all the spikes come out the wall and crush you. There's quite a number of of one hit kill crush traps throughout the game. Uh, but you can also, on the flip side, lure groups of enemies into those at the same time which can be quite satisfying um, on the topic of of frustrating bosses there is a section where you have to turn off the gas like different gas valves while while fighting oh, the yeah, safe yeah. head and it's yeah. like it wasn't even i died several times in that and and the frustrating part was not dying it was that it you mm. had to just like watch him turn the valve and there's like a qte where you just have to press <laughs> a a bunch and and it was so yeah. frustrating to just like <laughs> you know it doesn't matter how quickly you hammer the button actually like he always does the animation at the same speed but it'd be like all right i'm just gonna spend you know 30 seconds watching him close this valve over and over um yeah so there <laughs> there were some checkpoints that i would have liked to be placed differently that that I, that was the section that made you step down on the difficulty, right, Leon? No, no, it was the oh yes, no, it was, but it was yes, but it wasn't actually that section as it was the fact that I'd got there with no ammo because mm-hmm. I'd used so much in the previous mm-hmm. part of the level getting up to him. Yeah, uh, I I did die a few times on that section, but once you know the path, it's uh it's, it's a bit of a trial and error affair yeah i There's... think you can actually even with no ammo you can get through that section uh by just the stuff that you can find there and uh, that's yeah. that's laying around but it's barely and you can't afford yeah. any mistakes uh, that way yeah, yeah. i yeah. um on, on again on the bosses i um I, i've mentioned this in various recordings before i think um but it's a it is one of my least favorite mechanics when there are things that you have to fight but can't kill or permanently get rid of in yeah. some way. And this game yeah. is full mm-hmm. of that, so, mm. especially with uh, Rubik's sister. Um, what What is her name? I, I don't recall. Laura. 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 Yeah. Yes, thank you. Uh, so Laura, um, who you encounter multiple times, and uh, you can kind of slow her down, and eventually you can kind of burn her down. But most of the time, you kind of actually just have to run away from her, and or mm. make her run away from you. Uh, and I, I just, I, I find that to be really frustrating because it's like, why did I do all this if she's just going to come back again? You know? And I agree, but apparently they did. She does have an actual damage limit that you can hit by attacking her in traditional fashion if mm. you're. If you're insane yeah. and if you kill her on her first appearance, <laughs> if you're a lot you better get, at this than me, <laughs> well, t- same, but you, you can get uh, some big rewards for taking her down early as such. Mm. In the game. Yeah, of course, there is a thing that all the almost all the bosses, uh, the big enemies start coming back throughout the game. 
but that makes sense because they're not creatures of flesh mind, and blood. They're all yes. yeah, projections of <laughs> well, his mind. It makes mind. as much sense as anything, <laughs> as anything <laughs> in this game. Yes, accurate. Uh, the fact that yeah, he could actually yeah, he just yeah. Oh. Sure. I mean, horror's always like that, isn't it? The the amount of uh, contemporary horror films where the the evil demonic presences it, whether it's the uh, you know insidious films or or the um what's the other series that i've seen that's the one with annabelle and that oh the, the conjuring the conjuring and all that where these ghosts seem to be seem to have a lot more fun making people jump than actually doing anything <laughs> well, i mean uh, and that, that something that you that is consistently stalking you, but you can never really get rid of and you can never really do anything about, that's scary. I mean, that's, yeah. that is definitely, I mean, that, that I will give them. That's, that's something. Does that he want you, you dead or does he want you scared? Yeah, um, but yeah. like it, it's, it, so in, in one respect, I, I get what they were doing and I appreciate it. But on the other respect, I'm still playing this game and I don't like that. So mm. that's, I, I'm not saying that it, it should have been anything different. I'm just saying that for me, I found that very frustrating. There's uh, this green goo or green mm -hmm. gel. I think yeah, just stick it in called. your brain. It's fine. Just stick it in your brain. Uh, it's, you collect it in jars. This actually reminded <laughs> me a bit of um, Resident, um, no. Final Fantasy X. We were talking about the uh, the the where the extra chests and stuff are hidden. They're always mm. just to the left or the right of the actual linear path through the game. And I felt like a, a lot of the green goo in this game was like that. It's like, oh, there's a path over there that isn't where I need to go. There will definitely be a big jar of green <laughs> goo over there. Uh, sometimes it was uh, a decent amount. There's also uh, you can if you take down the keeper safe head enough times during that boss fight if you actually keep him going because he'll keep popping back up all the safes on the ground can be another incarnation of the keeper i think yeah. so if you keep downing him you get a big a fairly chunky amount of green gel every time he goes down so you can actually if you're willing to sacrifice the ammo or you've got it to sacrifice you can actually kind of stock up on green gel at that point and uh, get yourself further down the road with a lot of the power-ups yeah uh, which did um, other than stamina, which uh, which as we said was quite handy to have some more of, um, and the usual expanding out your health bar. Uh, what I was trying to be quite strategic with it because it, it the the economy looked such that I didn't feel I was ever going to have enough to do mm -hmm. everything with. So I did actually focus on the things that I felt I would use. So yeah, I did, as we've already said, I didn't after the first few levels realized i realized that i wasn't probably going to be relying on melee too much so it was better to stick it in something that will give your uh, the health uh, hypodermics a more of an effect and stuff did anyone have any particular strategies with the green goo inventory i expanded my inventory oh, a okay. lot yeah. me too me too yeah because early on you you miss uh, a lot of uh, ammo pickups because you can't stock anything mm -hmm. more. So you want to you beef up your aim. Bullets. Yeah, mm. you want to be able to carry a lot more from the start from the beginning. And then after that, focus on yeah, individual weapons and beefing those up. Though I actually didn't clock for a long time that I had to level up each weapon uh, individually. I actually yeah. thought I was, uh, <laughs> you know, um, upping my, my um, destructive oh, right, power and my accuracy. For everything, right. but it was I was just like putting all my upgrade points to the pistol only, which turned out well um, in the end because you got a yes. lot of ammo for it. So yes, 
my 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 regular pistol was uh was was a decent uh yeah decent weapon to fall back yeah on. i did um as well as inventory because it just it just feels so bad to like leave ammo on the ground um oh yeah <laughs> i did i did the pistols critical chance because honestly it just seemed like i was more likely to hit that at some point than actually kill them through like you know just pure yeah, damage right. done and, and those those upgrades are pretty significant because it goes from like zero to ten to twenty yeah. to th- like it, yeah. it's it's um, a big jump like you feel like you're getting something for your but then goodness. the other thing <laughs> the other thing that i did that i think worked out really well is i upgraded the normal crossbow bolt almost all the way to max the the max yeah, yeah, one yeah. is some yeah. insane it costs like fifty thousand. but like d- yeah. you know doing it doing it almost all the way up meant that i could kill like those keepers in like one crossbow bolt and then like one shotgun shell or whatever and so being able to like really easily decide like that thing's just gonna die you know i'll use a crossbow bolt on it was was a very you know nice thing to have later in the game the last two keepers of the game i also had similar uh, weapon upgrades but the last two keepers in the game eat a lot yeah they do <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um mm. which uh, if I, uh just a, a note on uh yeah the the apparatus that Sebastian take place in and he gets some sort of brain and shock therapy uh, administered to him. It's kind yeah. of hilarious that he basically the fact is that he needs shock therapy to remember that he can sprint for longer than 3 seconds. <laughs> yeah, or hold more bullets in his pocket. Yeah. yeah. I mean this is pure video games, isn't it? Yeah, this yeah, is... yeah. Yeah, and true to the genre and yeah, the, true the, to the predecessors. Inexplicable merchants and magical item boxes and <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah. In this I case, do, you got I a nurse re- behind a mirror. I do really like this, uh, the sort of the safe area in this game. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. sort of section. Uh, I never like, trusted that it was fully safe. Though. No, that's the thing. What I like so much about it, it's like yeah. I've always felt on edge in there. And there are a few scenes that take place there in are. it that are a bit unsettling. So I always feel like uh, I don't like those dark corners over there and everything. I always felt kind of unsafe in the safe area. Yeah, I... There's also a row of safes, uh, ironically, uh, which you can find keys hidden throughout the levels and unlock. I managed to unlock all of those. Oh, um, really? I, I got like yeah. six of them. <laughs> yeah, I found all the keys. Uh, I'd I, say there I was, was somewhere in the middle, yeah. There was, there was some weird moment where uh, I was walking through a, uh, a courtyard and I thought, and there was, you know, I was just walking along with my eyes at regular height and I thought, there's a tree there. I bet there's a thing in the tree. And I looked up and there was the thing in that tree exactly where I looked. It was like one of those, I'm in tune with the designers Sometimes here. you just yeah. click with those kind of things. I had that yeah. with Professor Layton where you have to look around right. and find the keys. I would be like, well, there's one there. Tap it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do. Uh, I really. They give you some extra stuff. I really liked the, um, just how much they did with that, the safe room, because you, you, come back to it you know dozens of times over the game probably but almost every time you kind of wake up somewhere different and there's maybe like a different like kind of visual effect going on or there's something you know like weird in a corner and and just the like the number of ways that they kind of distorted that area over over the course of the game i thought was really interesting completely completely uh yeah breaks down as well mm-hmm. uh, in the end like uh, everything starts looking more raggedy and then all of a mm. sudden the nurse disappears as well and you find the the uh newspaper article where she's been missing and yeah she died 
<laughs> I think she comes back in the second one again. I don't remember. I don't know how because I haven't played it yet. But I, believe I played a bit I, of the I second one. She... I think she's there in the beginning. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yes. So there's. I mentioned the documents, but one of the other collectibles in the game is still a mystery to me. I don't because I missed loads of these talking about getting in the designers' heads. I may have found all the keys, but I I didn't find all the city map squares. You find city map squares and they get plugged into a big thing on the wall yeah. in behind the desk. Mm. Uh, well, I, was, I assume there, was some, there must be some major revelation or reward that comes with this, but I have no idea what it is and I haven't looked it up. I don't know. I maybe got two or three of those. I, oh, very, right. very few. They, so. they don't glow up in the environment either. So they're easy, no. very easy to miss, like amongst all the rubble and, the, right. and, and all the, yeah. Um, I'm looking it up right so now. It's it says <laughs> collecting all 28 <laughs> fragments unlocks two gun cases containing the burst handgun and high penetration sniper rifle. Upon leading, Woo. upon loading a cleared save and viewing the completed map, so it's kind of a new game plus thing. Ah, oh. well, okay. I mean, it doesn't tell you that anywhere in right. the game. It just, <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, I use the sniper rifle a lot. I love a sniper rifle in a in a game like this, and I would have enjoyed a more powerful one. This is all adding up to, in the infinite world of time and money, of replaying this on PC with the better performance and the better graphics and doing all the stuff that I did wrong. In 2047. <laughs> yeah, something like that on my deathbed. Uh, well, I could probably be plugged into the stem and just play it in my brain. Be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there's a big ending boss fight because it's a video game, right? And uh, the last few stages, even though uh, well, you, you're not fully aware at this point necessarily, you're not. You could certainly be forgiven for thinking that you are still somehow in the real world being affected, but the revelation that you you were plugged into the stem right at the start of the game uh, kind of happens fairly late on, doesn't it? Uh, although actually he does have various conversations along the way with the other characters who are in the same situation yeah. uh, where he says something like, you know, we're, we're all in this guy's brain and he's completely mad. Uh, so it's sort of, it's peculiar how some of the settings are seem to be sort of mirroring the real world, but they are, yeah, they're in this kind of cataclysmic fractured state. Uh, you you actually led early on to to believe that you've kind of escaped the scene. Uh, you crash in an ambulance, and of course you should be you should be smushed at the bottom of a cliff. But um, you actually climb out the wreckage, and and I suppose other things that kind of again this weird sort of dichotomy between the reality of the the reality that you're in, the alternate reality, and the fact that it isn't actually literal stuff like you have your leg half sliced off by the first enemy you meet inside the stem and you're kind of dragging your your hanging off leg after being chainsawed down a load of um you know meat grinders and all this kind of thing and you just about managed to throw yourself and escape but then a couple of minutes later you're walking fine you know you, i guess that's the power of the green goo um, what the that that green goo must be antibiotic because, like, yeah. you are going to get an infection in <laughs> oh, there. Oh, so much sepsis. I mean, ah. that whole place is really manky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The whole thing. Um, 
and yeah so well we, well we already touched on the ending um we haven't i haven't played the sequel yet lee hasn't played the sequel um jacob have you played the sequel? no i'm really looking forward to it oh okay we're all we're all gearing yeah. up to playing the sequel yeah. so i've installed uh, it and i've played a little bit of the beginning of the opening of the game yeah so i mean as as somebody who's come away still kind of scratching my head about the what the plot actually the logic of it and the you know even the even the internal logic seems shaky to me that's the point it's not that it's I, I love fantastical things and horror fiction and i don't care how how it could actually happen or it couldn't that's not the point but in here it feels like there's a certain amount of broken internal logic to me uh but there's I, a getaway you know, there's a getaway card or, or a, a yeah get free out of jail card i mean you can yeah. question everything that happens in the game you're in somebody else's mind. When were you? When did that happen? When did that start? When did it end? Maybe yes. you're still in the guy's mind in the end. In you know? real life, yeah, but not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I sort of I'm curious enough, and the fact that the the second game was made for it uh, wasn't made for the previous gen systems, uh, and it was largely more strongly reviewed, if I recall correctly, than the first one for being a bit more consistent and slicker and stuff. So. So I'm looking forward to it, but um, but I don't know if this had been a one and done. I don't think I'd have been heartbroken. This is not my summary. I'm just thinking about the ending of the story. Um, was uh, Jacob? You said that you were just happy to enjoy it as the grab bag of horror games and horror tropes. Um, therefore, yeah. So that means that you, but you liked it enough to think that the sequel is something you also wanted to <laughs> yes yeah i you know I, I i do not think the ending of this game was clean in any way but but there's like there's enough there there that that i think especially with a sequel they could really build upon its strengths and never make another one probably, probably because <laughs> of the sales figures yeah uh, leddy or leedy 129 from the forum says this game wanted so badly to be the next Resident Evil 4. In its defence, it started off on the right foot with the masterfully choreographed sequence running from the Chainsaw Maniac. Following that, the creepy, creepy level design, aggressive enemies and brain-melting plot kept me genuinely on edge. However, as the game progressed, it started pairing you up with various AI partners for each level and the enemies become rather bullet-spongy. Along with the transition to more daytime levels, I started to get a Resident Evil 5 vibe instead. Still fun to play, but more an action romp than anything resembling horror. By the time I found myself clambering up the back of the skyscraper-sized final boss and launching a litany of rockets into its clearly marked tentacle weak spots, the evil within had completed its own metamorphosis into Resident Evil 6. Ooh. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> I can sort of see where he's coming from, yeah. he or she. I like that write-up. I don't 100% agree with it, but it's, yeah. It's it's a good uh, it's a good punch. I do wish that games like this, and we're we're specifically talking about this one, so I'll talk about this one. I wish that this Japanese horror video game had had the courage of its convictions to have a much lower key ending, not a massive, insane boss fight against. A skyscraper-sized monster where a with with literal red glowing weak spots and a rocket launcher. <laughs> Precisely. 
yeah and it's like you don't it could have been something really you don't even shoot it once with a rocket launcher the way you do in like you know the resident evils it's like well you've got 10 shots and so you just like lay into it at the end and then you i don't know just keep shooting rockets at it until it falls down and then step on it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but then you um you actually open because uh, he uh, opens his gob when he gets close enough, doesn't he? And there's of course the actual Ruvik. Why? Why again? In 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 a universe of his own mental making, why has he given himself a a weak spot in the mouth of a giant monster, where he appears to you and allows himself to be shot by a gun that he's conjured up himself? What a thrill is it? Yeah, this is the internal logic that I'm still wrestling with. And some uh, some some people I've watched some some the story explained videos. Some people uh, explain that this is Ruvik's world you're in, but the reason yeah. why he's he can't just do everything and right. can kill you with the snap of his fingers mm-hmm. is because everybody's connected to his conscious and they also start having their okay. way and start having their influence on the world. And the guns mm-hmm. and all that stuff is actually something that Sebastian is conjuring up. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's like okay. there's nothing yeah. against it, you know. <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> yeah okay T- take everything as you will yeah mm. <laughs> uh, new game plus allows you to as i mentioned earlier carry over the progress you've made as regards to at least powering up your character which i would imagine would be pretty fun uh, but the reason i don't want to do it with the save file i've got is because i ended up barreling through the last half of the game on casual and so I just think it would be feel a bit flat just to start off the next game even more powerful on the, the easiest difficulty level, which you can't turn back up, I uh, don't think. Oh, that's so, a shame. So, yeah. Yeah. It's often the way, isn't it? Um, I understand why, but uh, I think once you've completed the game, you should maybe let let people have full full say. But normally it's to do with the unlocking of achievements and things, isn't it? So because you can effectively gain those if you can massively power yourself up on an easier level and then crank it back up to a harder level you can but then it's only yourself you're cheating at the end of the day and it? so there's no actual prizes for being yeah. best at achievements so another piece of correspondence from the forum mechner from the forum says i came away from the evil within overall feeling flat the story is convoluted and seems to run rings around itself the characters are cheesy and hollow in a bad way i felt no attachment to anyone in the game while Resident Evil always benefited from camp characters and cheesy dialogue, this game really didn't. The letterboxing was an intriguing design choice, giving it a filmic aspect ratio, though really did it take away too much screen real estate. Gladly the patches have fixed this, giving the option to change to full screen. Sadly, it did not improve the frame rates on the PS4. The game at times can feel downright slow, like slogging through mud. While the story and characters were lost on me, I have to say I enjoyed the gameplay, even though I find over-the-shoulder games a little overdone. The gameplay was the only thing that kept me playing honestly. It had a repetitive nature, nearly mind-numbing, but I couldn't put it down. The game's highlights are the boss battles. They were constantly different and visually interesting, reminding me of some of the great boss battles in the Metal Gear Solid series. The stealth system had the opportunity to be very interesting, but its mechanics proved too simplistic to really engage me. I often opted to just run in with guns blazing, but I kept playing. The biggest downfall of this game, though, is its length. It's far too long. It really grated on me after chapter 9 or 10 onwards. On a whole, there are a lot of things that turn me off this game, and it's definitely a game that I cannot recommend anyone play in a post-PT or Resi 7 world. But for some reason, I am glad I saw it through to the end. I got something out of it. Not sure what, but something. Maybe an evil within. 
Uh, yeah, so it may be that, yeah, performance issues, it sounds like maybe the frame rate's worse on the PS4 than the Xbox One. Also, I was playing it on the Xbox One X, which I don't know if, although it's not enhanced in any way, I don't know if just the raw processing power of the X actually just uh, stops the frame rate from chugging at various points. I think it's possible. Uh, so, yeah, as we've said throughout, your mileage may vary. There were three bits of DLC. Well, actually four if you include the Fighting Chance Pack, which was a code that came in the box if you bought a new copy. Uh, my code had been used, so I got a pre-owned copy. Gave you some goo and some bullets or something. Uh, well worth the extra money, I'm sure. DLC was uh, originally $9.99 a piece, or the equivalent, or $24.99 for the three. Two of these are The Assignment and The Consequence, which I have read in many places and we've already uh, speculated here, are kind of essential to actually understanding the overall story, or at least Kidman, junior detective <laughs> Kidman, uh, and her place within it, what her motivations are. She, I suppose, is the closest to a Wesker we have in this game. Uh, she's Maybe not... more of a Barry Burton? Maybe more Barry Burton, mm. actually, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's fair. Uh, and it also adds... Uh, another level of difficulty, Kurayami, which I want to have nothing to do with. Um, <laughs> so none of us have played this, unfortunately, have we? No, I haven't. I, I do have them because, um, okay. it, as, as I mentioned before, um, this is relatively frequently on sale, uh, on PlayStation Network sales and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, often it will be bundled with the uh, DLC. So I'm pretty sure that the PS4 copy I have, I paid something like 10 or $15 for just yeah. the whole deal. So yeah, I do. I do just want to mention, I haven't played them, but uh, my friend Taylor, who's who's very positive on this game in general, has talked to me about the DLC. And, mm. and not only are they kind of essential to understanding the story, but I think actually make the story a good bit more interesting than it is otherwise. Yeah. Um, so so right. I... I wish that I had the time to play them before the show, but I still think that I may yeah, do them at some point in the future because, like, I'm intrigued enough um, that I, I wouldn't mind going through them. Mm. So, yes, apologies, listener, if you've been listening to us going, the plot's mantle, uh, and saying, all you need to do is play $20 worth of DLC <laughs> and you'll understand it all. Uh, perhaps, you know, it, it, in an ideal world, at least one of us would have done that. But we haven't. There you go. That's the nature of the business. We're not full time pros, sadly. Um, so but it does sound like, yeah, fans of this game definitely recommend the assignment and the consequence. Yeah, definitely worth looking out for in the sale. Sounds like if you were going to play this game following this podcast, try to get the whole the whole thing and, and play it uh, sequentially so that you can get the whole picture, as it were. Titan Comics released a four-part miniseries set before the events of the main game. That might help too. The Art of the Evil Within, a book collecting concept art and behind-the-scenes material from the game was released as well by Dark Horse Comics alongside the game in October 2014. Uh, I don't know if that Titan Comics four-part miniseries is rare and expensive or whether you can pick it up on eBay for £2.50 or whatever. Yeah, no idea. Uh, so, yes, we like to conclude with uh, some positive feedback if we can. And we've got some in the form of Connor. Connor from the National Video Game Museum of the UK. Very nice. It's written into the forum for the first time. Long time listener, he says. I adore the evil within and often not just in spite of its flaws, but because of them. 
As I was initially playing through the earlier levels in the game, I was struck as to how derivative many of the locations felt and looked. The aesthetic in The Evil Within is overly kitsch, and this works as the game can be described as an everything plus the kitchen sink style horror game. Everything that has ever once been considered creepy in a video game is probably in The Evil Within. <laughs> you fly through the locations in this game. There often isn't any ceremony as you go from scary asylum to scary village to scary old house to scary caves. None of these places ever have time to generate an atmosphere or, importantly, a sense of place like the Spencer Mansion from the original Resident Evil or the Sevastopol from Alien Isolation. Whilst this is inevitably a negative aspect of the game, it actually makes thematic sense, as in the story, all these locations are made up in someone's head. In the end then, I didn't see The Evil Within as a horror game, but an imagination of what someone thinks a horror game might be like. It's a postmodern, Baudrillardian, simulacrum, simulacrum, of a horror game. And how cool is that? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, but yes, that is cool. When you put yeah, it that I want to. I want to kind of. Uh, I really agree with Connor here, and I just want to express one more time, kind of how cool I think the the swooping from level to level is, because the things that this game does with transitions, I think, are really unique and really interesting. I mean, mm. like there's there's mm. a scene in um, when you you've kind of played a whole level in a mansion. And then you go down and you're in the basement of this mansion and you open these big double doors and suddenly you're in a sunflower field and it is really yeah. just cool and interesting. Or when you're, you, you kind of fall down a shaft and then gradually the shaft comes to kind of be level and then you're just like in a hallway again and, and they don't make logical sense. But I think especially for the kind of feel of playing a video game, these these illogical but seamless connections between areas work really well and it's one of my favorite things yeah. about it yeah i i definitely agree i also there's also this really cool section where uh the opposite of what you just described happens and a hallway becomes a shaft that you tumble down uh, yeah you're basically cool. tumbling down mm -hmm. this hallway yeah some really trippy stuff yeah i also wanted to compliment it in terms of atmosphere because although it does do a bit of everything in some ways it that does include as well as all the the gothic stuff and the nighttime stuff with the caves and the spooky villages yeah. and whatever it also includes a whole section that's outdoors based in a sort of golden sunlight not only that that sunflower field but there's a whole section earlier where you assault on a, uh, a an installation effectively you're trying to get in and it's all it all takes place uh, it looks like a bit of outdoors at in Devil May Cry or something like that, the original Devil May Cry. Um, and as a kid, I often used to have nightmares that were set in the outdoors in sunshine. Somehow it seemed to my to my brain at that time in my life like more, more scary than being in small dark places for whatever reason. And um and so yeah, it's cool that it's not it's although there's a lot of what you'd expect in here, there are a few few surprises as well. When watching video reviews of the game of the time when it came out, it was very easy for me to mistake this game for being exactly just that, like just throw out all the horror uh, in there and in, uh, in, in a very incoherent way. But having played through the whole thing, there is uh, there is a threat to there. There is a light motif, and it is coherent in its incoherency i have to conclude mm. 
just a couple of three-word reviews from Twitter today, which is surprising because I thought more people had played this or would be moved to talk about it. But it doesn't seem to have made quite the splash that... Um, well, Mikhail, you you were saying you felt like it was quite under the radar and low key. I, yeah, I but maybe that's it. maybe that's just me. Maybe uh, oh. I just didn't pick up on it much. I don't know. I mean, it's it's as I say. Apparently, it sold four million copies plus how many of a digital and whatever. But I do remember there being some buzz for this among you know, the 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 video gaming cognoscenti because they knew who was making it. I suppose, but yeah. Uh, but yes, not many people moved to give us a three-word review. Follow us on Twitter at Kana Rince. We had Replicant2077 saying, Scary Shinji Mikami. And Simon Nelson with Scared <laughs> Alone. <laughs> nice. See what you did there. I like he it. Did a, he did a pun. We like a pun. Uh, just keeping the three-word reviews alive with puns. Right. So, yeah, let's summarize. Um I'm, yeah, I don't actually know, uh, I've picked up feelings, but I don't actually know how strongly or not people are going to recommend this game. Leah, how about you? I liked The Evil Within, but with caveats. Um, so I, I'm probably in the right place here. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that I would really only recommend it to people who are already fans of the horror genre. I don't think that this is going to pull anybody in because it is so referential and kind of scattershot. Not not really in a bad way, uh, at least not always in a bad way, uh, but it's not one straight coherent thing that is telling a super coherent story and is going to leave you thinking. I mean, it might leave you thinking, but probably not about the same thing as anybody else who has ever played this game. So, um, yeah, if I, I think that I would say if you enjoy this type of game and, and you know, you're I, I like it because I liked the um, I, I liked the setting and I liked just kind of the feeling and the atmosphere that it has. I wasn't that crazy about the gameplay, but it also wasn't bad enough for me to say it's not worth it. So it's, it's, it's frequently available as I've mentioned several times for um, very reasonable prices. If you see it in the sale and any of this has piqued your interest, uh, I, I would say, yeah, it's, it's worth, uh, it's worth the, you know, 10, $15 that it might cost you uh, if, if you're interested uh, that much already. Um, I, I wouldn't really go out of your way if you're not already it's not it's not the best of its genre for sure but i think that there is enjoyment to be had out of it as long as you don't go in expecting i i'm gonna say the wrong thing but uh that's gonna vary that's that's subjective of course but um if you don't go in expecting something that that it isn't might be a better way for me to put that mm -hmm. all right yeah i think i like the evil within more than i thought it was good in quotes yeah. As in, I came away sort of very conscious of its shortcomings, but also having quite a nice overall sort of warm feeling towards it, despite it not really, you know, you look at the cover, it's actually, you know, it's grotesque. It's a man with his face wrapped in barbed wire screaming. It's not something to have warm feelings about. I actually noticed there's a reverse cover on the other side, which is, which I, I like rather more. It's a, it's a rather more stark uh, red, uh, black on red design. Uh, rather less commercial, but uh, more artsy. I recommend flipping your inlay if you have one. Um, 
Yeah, it's got, I think the Evil Within's got some design issues. It feels a bit uh, grab bag and it feels a bit double A, which seems to be that buzz phrase at the moment. Like there's, I think there's some stuff in there that they, even though the, you, you know, you look at the, the credits that the, the team who made this have got between them and they've got all these absolute, you know, cold, stone cold, all time Japanese video gaming classics. And here it feels like they, they don't really hit those heights, but maybe there were reasons why mm. uh, the wrong engine, new company, uh, new studio, new owners, uh, cross gen title. There's lots of kind of things working against it. But actually, I do think if you've ever been a fan of the survival horror genre especially the japanese entries into that which is i mean it really is a originally it's a japanese genre after all uh, i would say that this one you should definitely have played this one to kind of complete the set uh, there's definitely some frustrating moments some real silliness some ludicrous plot contrivances uh, but actually my strongest memories are, are coming away having some really fun encounters with monsters popping heads, setting traps, blowing things up, shooting faces off, uh, green goo being injected into my brain so I can carry eight bullets instead of seven. You know, <laughs> good video gaming things. Yeah. Uh, but And yes, as we keep saying, it's, uh, it's, it's inexpensive and it set me up looking forward to playing the sequel, which I hope will be a bit shinier and a bit slicker. But again, it does sound like if you have the machine to do it, you might have a better experience playing on PC rather than even the PS4 or the Xbox One version. So do consider that, maybe in a Steam sale or something. Mikhail, how about you? Did you like it? I like, almost love, no, let's, let's just say I love the concept of The Evil Within. Um, not as thrilled about its execution in all aspects, but I really like this idea using the, the plot uh, using the narrative as an excuse to throw a lot of craziness and unstable environments at you. I just wish they would have went more all the way with it and uh, really put you on your toes and really have you in ever-shifting environments and more imaginative and outlandish situations that the game already put you in. Um, I can also think of why that might have been an issue because sometimes you want a, a certain environment or area to sink more in that's more like you know a, a game design uh re reason where you want to introduce new mechanics and new concepts and let let things simmer but um yeah i mean i think uh ruvik is uh is a particularly unimaginative uh <laughs> has a particularly unimaginative unimaginative mind at times where you're just <laughs> slugging to, through very samey environments for a long time that uh yeah that that are reflections supposedly of the real world, mm. quotation mark Crimson City uh, and its environment, uh, its its uh, yeah neighboring environment. Um, that said, yeah, there's also mechanical things that don't sit well with me and design things like uh, some of the uh, yeah how the the upgrade system is designed. But that said, I did have a lot of really cool gameplay moments in there uh, of the sort that you just described and just barely squeezing through and making a desperation move in the end that paid, paid off and paid, taking some crazy risks. Um, so, all in all, I think it's a game of, uh, of many flaws, but I'm still happy I played all the way through it. And yeah, I'm uh, also 
quite curious to check out the sequel. Excellent. And I think I detected throughout the show that maybe Jacob was the most positive of all of us. Yeah, so going into replay this for this show, I was not particularly looking forward to it because I just okay. I did not remember my first playthrough fondly. Um, I, I hmm. think that I really wanted it to be a sequel to Resident Evil 4 and I wanted to be able to do my like suplexes and and whatever else and so it was too <laughs> there was too much disappointment in it not being that for me to really assess the game on mm. its own merits and so mm. this most recent playthrough I was really happy and surprised to find just how much I enjoyed the game I I think that it has a a tremendous amount of interesting systems going on in a way that a kind of horror game like anatomy or you know anatomy um amnesia can't where where you know you can only run away and hide and i've played so many of those that it felt really nice to have kind of like a gun again but still not feel powerful um yeah and and above all you know just what surprised me is like how much effort i could feel went into making this game like there is not a single kind of quote-unquote lazy decision in this entire thing there are so many different enemies and locations and and systems and one-off situations and it just feels like there was like a huge amount of passion put into this and maybe so much that it just kind of started bursting at the seams and like, you know, everything doesn't fit in as cleanly as as you would like it to. But um, yeah, I just I had a really, really <laughs> surprisingly positive experience with it. And it has left me looking forward to playing the second one a lot. And I didn't want to play it until I had done this podcast because I wanted I wanted my feelings on it to still be kind of representative. Awesome. Well, that's all very nice. It seems like our feelings are more positive overall than the community's bar Connor. Interesting. Anyway, remains for me, Leon, to thank Jacob, Leah and Mikhail, as well as those correspondents, and to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe, to rate us, to review us, wherever you get your podcasts from. Best of all, though, patreon.com slash Just a dollar a month gets you every single one of these podcasts a week earlier, more often than not an extended edition beyond the two hours of the free version and an exclusive monthly podcast. You'll also get our format specials three months ahead of the free versions. Currently our Dreamcast show, which is getting great reviews. So do consider that patreon.com slash Just a dollar or more if you want. Next time in issue 391, Warner Brothers' own entry in the Caped Crusaders interactive Arkham Odyssey, it's Batman Arkham Origins. Or oranges. Oh.